This is Food, Nutrition, and Trauma. Thank you for joining us today. Our instructor is Christy Thiel, a master nutrition therapist. We are so excited to have her. I have to say, this is a class that has been requested over and over and over again. So we are thrilled to have been connected with Christy through our friends at Cobbled Streets. And we all have a lot to learn today from you, Christy. You know, when we are foster parents, oftentimes the kids in our care struggle with food issues, hoarding, um, not eating, uh, et cetera. But we as caregivers also have our own issues with food and nutrition and trauma. So we are really excited to be able to learn from you and thank you, thank you for being here. Take it away. Thank you, Renee. I am also honored and excited to be here and to be with everyone. I am a master nutrition therapist and that is because food was my, what I decided to harm myself with. And I, I was a foster child. I, um, I, I had parents and then um, I was in a homeless shelter and then I had two sets of foster parents. And in, in a way it's a blessing that food was my um, pleasure, my pain and my addiction. And so I have a real soft spot and you know a big intention today to just let everyone know that healing absolutely happens. And if food is your thing, um, and there's no one that doesn't have trauma. It's, it's, it's a good problem to have. And I hope that I can provide some solutions for you and um, give you some, some relief about any kind of overburden or overwhelm you have around food. So I'm going to start with sharing my screen. And I just wanted to mention too, that my, my journey with food and hopefully just like you will, will never stop. Um, it's a it's a relationship that constantly needs evolving and nurturing and amplifying and changing, and it's totally worth experimenting with. So there's no like you know you find your way to eat and then you just stick to it. This is a constant journey, and the the healthier we get, the easier it is to create something called body literacy where we just know and understand and listen to what the feedback is coming from our body. And it's easier to course correct after we develop body literacy. So I'm going to share my screen. That's already so reassuring, Christy, to hear you say that, because I think a lot of us are looking to have solved the puzzle, so to speak, and know how we're supposed to do it. And then we do it that way for the rest of our lives. So that's really already reassuring that it is constantly evolving and changing. I wish it was that easy. Um, even right now in my life, I, I teach a bun, I teach a few nutrition classes and I'm constantly like going, wow, like I thought I had this nailed and another layer comes up and, you know, it's all, it's not starting from scratch, but it's always, it's always reminding me that there's so much to learn. And this is such a fun thing to learn because we're always going to be feeding ourselves and nurturing ourselves and nurturing others. So just be open to the journey because it's really fun 
when you start to feel better. And that in and of itself can be the motivation for taking the next step or trying a new food or supplement or letting something go. So I'm here, I've been through most of a lot of the pain and I, I relate to the pain around food. And I also can tell you that it gets a whole lot easier once we take some, some steps in the right direction. So hopefully some of those steps are in this presentation. Let me see if I can get this myself over here. There we go. So the, the, the title of this is Trauma and Food, Health and Healing. And that's because um, a lot of times we use food to, to reinforce our trauma, our escape, our pain, et cetera. And it can start off as pleasure. We love the sugar and the carbs, and then we take it too far and it turns, uh, turns into a painful experience. Uh, that gentle thing that just started off as eating. So let me see, I need to figure out what to do with my, maybe that's it. Um, I just want to get rid of so I can see the screen. Okay. Can you see my screen? Okay. Yeah, Renee? looks great. Okay. Awesome. All right. So today's discussion is going to be around defining traumas and addictions. Um, I'm certified through, um, I have lots of nutrition certifications and I'm also certified through an MD in his program. And his name is Gabor Mate. I highly recommend YouTubing Gabor Mate. Yes, we will link and, that in the chat. Definitely worth, oh, worth following. I adore him. So, so wonderful. He, you know, it's, it's like, it's never too late to start um, healing, right? And I, I always think, oh, you know, this is a good place. I can just settle here. And then when I started listening to Gabor, it was like a whole new world opened up. And a lot of this PowerPoint is influenced by him in the, in the program I went through with him. So we'll define traumas and addictions, why um, our food is toxic and it's, most of it is depleting us. When food isn't feeding us, what does that look like? What are the signs and symptoms and conditions? And then of course, solutions and resources. So again, um, I'm Christy Thiel um, and I, I was a foster child and I can totally relate to the hoarding of food. And it's not that, you know, I wasn't, I didn't ever have enough because we went to the food banks and we did all that. And I had great foster parents. It was really that food was how I feeling full was really how I felt safe and secure. And I would take feeling full to self-destruction um, and, and self-harm. But when I really started digging into why I overfed myself, it was because, and why I love being full so much, it was, it all related back to the feeling of security and comfort and safety. So it's good to understand that food is a, is a comfort, it's a safety, um, but it can also be a way that we self-harm ourselves and it can be both those things. It can be all those things and it can be both of those in the same moment. So um, I've done a lot of work 
it's, it's great work to do and you're not going to be successful all the time, but it's really worth understanding your relationship with food. I have most of my clients write a love letter to food and it's hard for them. And I still write my love letter to food. And it always sounds something like, dear food, I love you so much. And you continue to be there for me, but sometimes you hurt me. And sometimes I abuse you. And sometimes I make bad choices with you. Think of food as a relationship and be honest with this relationship you have with food and let go and channel to yourself and your inner relationship with food and let, let the inner wisdom come through about where your relationship started, how it's developed, it, is it healthy, is it not, what needs to be changing. And I'm still recognizing how deep and um, the deep ties I have with that relationship as a security blanket and it's a good, it's a good wake up call. And it's a nice way to have compassion for other people too. Christy, so what do you is work trauma? With, sorry, sorry. Do you work oh, with yeah. children as well? I actually um, have not worked with children um, with new, well, like teenagers. Yes. Not uh, young children. Cause someone is saying, which is totally, totally uh, relatable. Um, Someone is saying their daughter does the opposite, restricts food, right? Doesn't yes. want to feel the, the food. So it's it's kind of always a form of, of control, right? Absolutely. And it's, it's like the same difference, right? She feels better when she has like that emptiness because it makes her feel in control and Yes, I, I, I am, uh, this may sound horrible, but I'm jealous of people like that. Um, I, that was not, that was not, um, I, tr I tried that, didn't work. But yes, I mean, it's, it's all a form of a way of us trying to figure out how we can negotiate our world, our lives, our bodies, our feelings, etc. And food should not feel like it's, you know, something that's, it should be something that we nurture ourselves with. And my heart goes out to people who don't feed themselves and to people that overfeed themselves because we're still just, everything is a cry for love. So we just start with that clean slate. How is she saying that she needs more love? Real quick before we go on, and I know we're going to get to all this, but I want to just give you an idea of the types of questions that are coming in. Um, someone says, I have two 14-year-olds. One had the pantry locked by parents, and the other had homelessness and food insecurity. My child has difficulty with feeling hunger signals appropriately. Any tools yeah. to support them? Again, I know we'll get to this, but these are this is kind of what foster parents are, are working with right now. Um, having difficulty feeling hunger signals. You know, um, our gut and our brain speak the same language. So when, when we're developing in the womb, um, our brain and our gut uh, are, are in the same spot and then they start to connect and break off from the vagus nerve. And it said that they speak the same language. So when we start to heal, especially our neurotransmitters and our, um, and our nervous systems, everything starts to fall into place a little bit. But right now people are really toxic 
and the brain can't regulate, um, it's not regulating well because of stress. And I'm going to address stress, but anytime there's a sympathetic uh, overload or sympathetic dominance, we're not going to be getting the right signals or cellular communication down to our gut. And for every uh, signal that goes from the brain to the gut, there's nine that go from the gut to the brain. So a lot of about a lot of this, those signals of hunger, full um, feeding, what's right for my body versus cravings, has to do with like um, getting rid of some things, adding some things in, so that we can develop the right neurotransmitters. And some people, this takes longer, and sometimes this it, it doesn't take much, but it's really so it's so great that you're paying attention to that because it's true. Like when our brain's not healthy, when it's inflamed, when there's stress, when there's trauma, we're not getting the right signals to our gut and we're not sending the right messages from our gut, which is considered to some people, the second brain, to some people, the first brain, um, because it's where we make most of our serotonin and other neurotransmitters and when our, where our immune system is. So it's affecting everything, our brain, our gut, our immune system, our nervous system, our hormones. And it's never one system. It's always how they're interacting and, and communicating. Awesome. That Let's was dive in. Thank you, Christy. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. And I love talking about the brain and the gut because you can't heal without getting those two, you know, two places connected and aligned. So what is trauma? And this is all from Gabor Mate, and I'll just read it off of here. Trauma is the invisible force that shapes our lives. It shapes the way we live, the way we love, and the way we make sense of the world. It is the root of our deepest wounds. So this goes back to our authentic self. Trauma causes us to disconnect from ourselves, our sense of value and from the present moment. So just take a, a moment and just think about that and how that is affecting you personally and the children and bring in the compassion and just sort of a, a bird's eye view Trauma is the invisible force that shapes our lives. What does that mean? That means that we start compensating with something right away to, to heal a wound. It shapes the way we live, the way we love or don't love. And the way we make sense of the world. Is the world scary? Is it exciting? Is it harmful? Is it hurting you? Is it, is it providing for you? And it's the root of our deepest wounds. Trauma causes us to disconnect from ourselves because we don't feel safe and we're always looking for safety. And so we need to find, we're all finding ways to compensate for that trauma and that disconnection because we want to feel whole and we deserve to feel whole and safe and loved and giving and, re and to receive and to um just participate in all the things that we deserve and want to participate in our sense of value and from the present moment. So this is all Gabor Mate and I could read this over and over to myself and I just tend to go deeper and deeper because 
the honesty just takes a moment to really feel safe in. So um, the essence of trauma is a disconnection from ourselves. Trauma is separation from our body and emotions. So what does this mean to you and to me? It means, are we healing or are we reinforcing the abandonment? Uh, are we experiencing more loss because of that disconnection, rejection, fear, insecurities, um, compensations? What kind of compensations are developing in our personalities, in our beliefs, in our habits? Is, there, is it enforcing a sense of unworthiness, hatred, um, self-harm, etc.? And this is something that blew my mind um, because it's so true when I learned it. So there's two things that are non-negotiable as children. We cannot negotiate security or attachment or being authentic. And especially for kids who um, have been removed from their homes or their parents or their families, et cetera, we will compromise our authenticity every single time for security and attachment. So uh, it took me a long time to understand. It took me, a, I'm still working on this, but the, the bottom line is when we can like trust our gut, then we become more authentic. And the way for us to trust our gut is to heal it in the brain so that they can constantly be communicating and that way we can be authentic and we can get over mistakes and we can be experimental and we can be in relationships and we can move out of our comfort zone. So this is really important that we heal the gut and the brain so that we can get back and relearn what our authentic self is. And I always think of movies and things where people are just, they don't question, they just like on, they, they're just doing like, things from their gut and like they're so solid in their selves and this is how we all can be when we start layering on and stacking healing and it happens really fast um and it's it's so great when we go oh my gosh i just trusted my gut because we know when we don't trust our gut or we're getting misaligned or missignaling from our gut that it doesn't usually result in in the best outcomes so this one, I got my picture over some of these words. Let me move this. Okay. Chronic stress, triggers, and traumas can dysregulate your brain and contribute to food addictions. And that might be overeating or undereating. Um, not everything is about overeating. So chronic stress puts us in um, a part of the nervous system, which is called sympathetic um, overdrive, or, and it can result in being frozen where we just don't feel and we just are like our emotions and our processing and our relating is just sort of frozen because there's been too much stress. And again, the brain and the gut speak the same language. So if the brain's traumatized, the gut is traumatized and we're trying to feel and compensate and understand where the dysregulation is and who am I and how do I behave and it just it gets haywire and it gets the signals get crossed and we look for a form of escape and again 
This can be overeating. This can be undereating. This can be developing um, un, like, uh, cravings for sugar and carbs or salt. Anything that results from chronic stress, which, which most of us are under, can result in some sort of dysregulation or bad habits with food. And there's a mistake on this slide. So stress is defined as thoughts, toxins, and traumas. Um, so that's thoughts, toxins, and traumas. So this is, this is all food to your brain because your brain doesn't know Uh-oh, Christy, are you there? Sorry, folks, give us a second here. We'll figure this out. Hang tight, Christy will be right back with us. There she is. That was crazy. Oh my gosh. I, I was just talking and then all of a sudden it said um, reconnecting. Where I'm so sorry. Where did I lose you? Go back to the slide you were at and then you're talking about brain signals to the brain and the gut and back. And there's tons of questions coming in. <laughs> Good. I love Oh, I'm. There we go. Talk again, Christy. Oh, could, did you see this slide? Yes, this is where we were. Go ahead. Okay. Did you um did I did you hear me say that there is a mistake on this slide under stress? Yes. It's yep. Really. Okay. Perfect. All right. So good. I think I think we can move on and we can always address the uh, lots of questions. I hope there's questions because this is like the questions are where we start our work from, which is awesome. So now I'm, I'm switching gears. We've sort of addressed what is the trauma? What is stress, thoughts, toxins and traumas? Now, what is an addiction? So an addiction is any behavior, substance related or not that an individual pursues 
because they find pleasure, relief, or they crave it temporarily. They pursue the pleasure and relief despite negative consequences, and they don't give it up in the face of negative consequences. And this is Gabor, a quote from Gabor Mate. So that could be sex, gambling, eating, shopping, work, relationships, or substances. So I know in our society, we tend to think of addictions as something that we do to ourselves, like a substance or something, but it's really anything that we find pleasure or relief in, or that we crave for its temporary, you know, escape. But we pursue it despite the negative consequences, whatever those are, maybe more stress, more weight gain, more brain fog, more, you know, you know, potentially, you know, overspending or losing our relationships, our homes, et cetera. And we don't give it up in the face of those negative negative consequences. And so again, this is not black and white. This is this is addictions. You never ask why the addiction. You ask why the pain? Where's the trauma? And that's why we do addictive or we have addictive behaviors. So what that's are the, the key points? right there, right? That's it's this is not a, a issue of willpower. This no. is a coping mechanism for something deeper. Exactly. And and I I felt like I really related to people more uh, and myself more when I started studying this because, you know, we're not self-destructing because we don't have willpower. No one wants to be an addict, whether it's food or substances or gambling or, you know, um, horrible relationships. We make these decisions because of the underlying trauma um, and pain. And it's like, it's overridden our, you know, our ability to make good choices. So why the pain is really what we look at when there's any kind of addiction. And I can relate to this, of course, with food, why the pain? Well, you know, that's kind of obvious, but then it was really understanding the pain that helped me understand why the addiction, which helped me understand um, the food I was abusing and why and and start the healing process so what are the negative consequences of food and eating um obviously uh we we know all about metabolic diseases and inflammation and brain fog and things like that and we'll get into a little bit of that but every person has an inner addict so again why the pain and this is something that we can really nurture with the children and ourselves so that we can be better for them and they can be better adults and it's not that you know you just come to the table and be like yeah i know why the pain there's layers and layers and layers and layers to the pain so if we can just start um, with the simple ones and then create that safe space they'll develop better habits and relationships and behaviors um, and we'll take time, but if we don't start, it doesn't get better. So now we've ad addressed trauma, addictions, stress, and now we'll bring in the food uh, part of it. So what is food? And food, all food is, is information. 
So when you, whatever you eat breaks down to, um, you know, this is going to feed me or deplete me. This is going to be inflammatory or rebuilding or repairing. So if you think of food as information, pay attention to what that information is. How do you feel? How did you sleep? What's your skin looking like? What's your gut feeling like? What are your hormones like? What's your brain like? What are your neurotransmitters um, like? It's all connected. Absolutely everything is connected. And again, food is information. Our thoughts are food. Our traumas are food. Our stress is food because it's all information. Food either heals or harms us. It makes us weak or strong. It breaks or builds our immune system, which is really important right now. It fuels or damages the brain. If you've ever had brain fog, you understand that or can't sleep or anxiety or depression. It's all, it's all brain inflammation. And food is less about calories and it's more about its story. Why do we make the choices? Is it out of comfort? Is it out of escape? Is it out of health? Is it out of need? Is it out of, um, you know, healing? Um, so I hope that helps because I, I don't like to think of food as calories. Um, of course, it's a part of it, but calories is just information too. And we start looking at it as what kind of books do you read or TV shows do you uh, listen to or music do you listen to? It's all information that's feeding or depleting our brain, our guts, our bodies, our spirits, etc. I don't know who said this, but I, I love this saying is that the body is always listening. And a lot of times it's saying no, and we just don't listen. And any kind of symptom or disease doesn't happen overnight. It can take anywhere from 10, 20 years to actually have a diagnosis of a condition, especially autoimmune conditions. And unfortunately, kids are being born um, unhealthy these days because we're unhealthy and it's just um, accumulating in our bodies. So there's ways that the body is always listening and how is your memory and concentration? How is learning for kids? How, is there brain fog? Are there headaches? These are all signs that the brain isn't getting fed, that it's inflamed, that the neurotransmitters um, are out of balance or weak, or um, some are too dominant and some are um, not there enough. Is there fatigue? Are there skin issues? Skin, I had chronic acne for 10 years and it was because I was so toxic, not toxic, toxic from food, but toxic from stress and inflammation and anxiety and depression and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so your skin is your biggest organ and it is always communicating with us. Do you have allergies, autoimmune conditions, food cravings that you have like no, no control over? How are your hormones? Um, are you high stress, high cortisol, craving foods that you know spike our insulin? How are your sex hormones? Uh, is there gas, bloating, stomach issues, inflammation, weight gain? These are all ways that our body's communicating with us. And because the body's always listening, the body's always keeping score. And if we're 
harming ourselves more than we're healing ourselves, there's something called um, specific biological diseases. Like this is your body not doing the wrong thing. This is your body doing the right thing, trying to communicate to you, this isn't working. I need a change. Please change my diet. Please decrease my stress. Please give me more exercise. Please change my environment inside or out. Especially when it comes to anxiety, depression, and sleep issues. This is a major feedback um, loop from your brain that it's really inflamed, that the gut is inflamed, and that the cellular and neuro, uh, neurological communication is dysregulated. So the picture on, uh, of, the, of the person on the right-hand side shows that the brain's always connected. And we tend to think of health in, in terms of just our cells, but our cells are only 10% of who we are. There's something called the microbiome. And this is a fascinating area of research because we know that we are 90% more bacteria and fungus and yeast and viruses than we are just cells. So when the bacteria is off, for example, we're feeding the bad guys, that ends up being cravings. That Those bacteria that like sugar and carbs and stimulants are, are out of control. They're like that child that's screaming in the grocery store because they saw their favorite snack and you're not giving it to them. That is your microbiome screaming because it's craving um, the sugar. A lot of bacteria and yeast uh, and fungi like sugar and they can, they can be out of, out of balance, right? There's too much of those. We still need them, but we need less of them. So I don't think of everything in the terms of cells. I think of everything in the terms of what are we feeding and we're feeding our bacteria more than our cells because we are more bacteria than we are cells and they are very loud when they're out of out of, out of balance did anyone besides me feel like you had all of those symptoms feel free <laughs> feel free to share in the chat you're not alone my friends <laughs> Yeah, I'll go back to this. I can relate to every single one of these also. And, and I can tell immediately if I eat something that, that feeds me in the wrong way or it's the wrong information, because if something like this pops up, I'm like, mm, all right, it's time to pay attention. But yes, um, I too uh, can relate to those very well. So now we've addressed trauma, addictions, food, um, bacteria, a microbiome. So now we need some solutions. How can we start listening, healing, repairing, uh, resetting, etc.? And one of the ways that I like to address this is get real honest with where your health is right now and where your kids' health is. Um, kids, I mean, they just want to survive, right? They're in survival mode. They're stressed. They're, they're, you know, displaced. There's so much emotional um, dysregulation going on in them. And so where are you at right now with your health? What is your, what is your biology telling you? 
Are you inflamed? Are you low energy? Do you have brain fog? Do you have sleep issues, et cetera? And then where do you want your health to be one year from now? Because if nothing happens overnight, like nothing about changing your health is like instant gratification. It, it takes a moment. So if you can think a year out, like I want to be regular when I, like I want to go to the bathroom regularly. I don't want to have to take um, all these things that just get me up and get me to work. And then I'm like, you know, stressed out all day. So what do you want your body to look and feel like a year from now? And then again, five years from now, because we're going to be in the same body. We're going to be in the same skin, but everything's always changing. So we replace the gut lining every three days. We replace every single part of our body cellularly um, every year. So we can really contribute to uh, who we are a year, five years from now, et cetera. And remember that your thoughts are food. So how are we feeding ourselves? Not just with food, food is very, very important, but with your thoughts, with your environment, with your relationships. And do we like think of gratitude and blessings as desserts? Um, like we need to really participate in our and feeling grateful and counting our blessings because this puts us in a place of peace and we can't heal until we get into peace in that parasympathetic nervous system, which is where we heal and digest and relax. This is, um, I studied with Zach Bush also. He's an MD. He's really worth checking out because he's a, a triple board certified um, MD, but he has a wisdom about him in a way of explaining things that is so understandable. And he, one of his, um, uh, avenues was he was making chemo drugs and he realized like the chemo is really not helping anyone and we're not deficient in chemo. So maybe there's another way to help cancer patients. So then he started looking at food and even like if they were on the best diet and eating the kale and the greens and everything, the food wasn't always helping the cancer patients either. So then he started looking at how the food is grown and the, the state of our soil and our air and our water. And that's what we need to do is get to the root cause. And, and now he's really passionate about soil health because soil is where we get our nutrients from. So it's really important, and I'll get to the, a little bit more about this, that our food reflects the highest intentions and the best sourcing. And I'm gonna do my very best to figure out how we can do this um, on a budget with all these kids, with time restrictions, et cetera. So we heal faster than we injure. This is mind blowing because right now, most Americans are injuring faster than they heal, but it doesn't take much. It can be one thing a day that shifts that into healing faster than we injure. So when we think about healing ourselves and the kids and their futures and our future bodies, don't make this overwhelming because we don't heal when we're stressed. So these are some suggestions. We can just pick one meal, just one meal every day to improve on. That's healing faster than you injure. 
We can do simple things like intermittent fasting, like just stop like feeding ourselves all the time because when we're overfeeding, we're putting so much glucose into our systems. We can't, we can't metabolize it all. And that glucose is inflammatory and it inflames the brain and it inflames the gut. And it turns into all sorts of metabolic conditions that can affect any part of your body, heart disease, um, diabetes, um, liver, digestion, et cetera. Try not to over snack. Like snackiness is a thing that's new to our human bodies and we're not adapting to it very well. We need periods between meals to clear the glucose so that we can clean, like we're not always putting inflammation into our bodies. Because remember, stress is thoughts, toxins, and traumas. And the toxins can be a food. And the thoughts and the traumas um, is all contributing to this overwhelm that we feel in our body. So just try to limit snacking and give your body some peace and some break and just time to clear um, the excess sugar and carbs. And sleep is just a non-negotiable thing. We got to sleep um, because that's when the body processes all of our subconscious thoughts from the day before. So we can wake up with a clean slate uh, and we metabolize um, all of our excess food and we just need to repair. We need repair more than we've ever needed um, up till now. And there's so many things bombarding us. So sleep is really important. Hydration is really important because you've probably heard that we're like 70 to 80% water. The new studies are saying we're actually more like 99% water because our bones are water. Our brain is 80% water. Our lungs are 80% water. And when we're dehydrated, that's a form of stress. And that's the body saying something's not right. I'm dying. There's stress. And so water is really important. And the highest quality water is really important. And limiting and avoiding plastics. Plastics are so disruptive to our endocrine system. And so is stress. And so are some foods. So plastics are, are probably not talked about, but there it's everywhere. And if we can limit the plastics, then we start to improve our hormones and our detoxification and our cells and our cell membranes. Think of everything as food. Think of everything as food, whether it's your thoughts, your environment, like you're taking in images all the time. See if they can break down into something that's healing you faster than it's injuring you. So cooking, I know, can be like, oh, I just don't have time, blah, blah, blah. So try to commit, practice this, cooking three to five meals a week. I, mean, I cook probably like, you know, two, two to three meals a day. I say my probably cook two meals a day and I'm big into leftovers. So there's all, I don't have to go to the grocery store. I don't have to figure out where am I going to get lunch? Leftovers are really, really, really important so that you don't have to cook three meals a day. But if you can just start with cooking three to five meals a day, that would be great. And no, a week. We, oh, oh, sorry. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> a week. 
I know I, I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> so we've got to make time for our health. We've got to shift gears and prioritize food and and where we're getting it from. Well, and what I like about what you're saying here, Christy, is start small. Pick one meal. Because I know when you and I initially chatted about this class, I was telling you, look, we we are overwhelmed as, as foster parents. We, we do not have the bandwidth right now to make a complete overhaul and switch to what I call chicken and roughage, right? We, we have to just do small changes. And what I've been reading lately, when you say change one meal a day, I've been reading that oftentimes it's not about taking something away. It's about adding things in. Right. I love that. Yes, absolutely. I think, um, I think the food paradigm has gone really like, we have to eliminate all this stuff, but if you add something in like hydration or a salad, then your net, the, the other stuff is going to naturally fall away. But if we focus on like, I've got to stop eating my, my chips, that's just more stress. And it doesn't actually last long. The retention for focusing on eliminating is stressful sometimes. So we focus on adding in and then things fall away because we have to have a replacement for anything that we try to eliminate. We can't have these big holes in our in our day or in our diet. Yeah, thanks, Renee. Absolutely. So Mondays, like we could just think. So over here, um, your taste will change. Your taste will change. So remember, we're not feeding cells as much as we're feeding bacteria, and the bacteria that like good foods need to, you know, come into better balance than the bacteria that likes sugar and carbs. And it's like the more the, the microbiome gets balanced out, your taste will change. Your cravings will change. Your gut and your neurotransmitters will change because your body is always listening. So on Mondays, you can make Mondays just like a, a veggie night. So, um, you know, like today I roasted a bunch of cauliflower. This is what I, I do now instead of a bunch of chips. I just stick a bunch of uh, vegetables in the oven with salt and pepper, and I can snack on that. You can do a lot of sweet potatoes and pestos and rice and quinoa and millet and just things that are really nourishing to the body that you can put in your crock pot or um, add sauces or um, his seeds and nuts too. And it's really nourishing. And again, it's a little, it's, it, you have like, this is something you, you do make time for not every day, but with a little bit of planning, you add more veggies in or uh, mushrooms or just things that are easy and not complicated. I love making do it yourself protein bars. Cause you know, fast food is actually very expensive and we compensate time for convenience. And it's not, it's not always the cheapest thing to, to eat cheap and on the run and fast actually it can be very expensive. So there's so many recipes. If you just plug into Google, um, like, um, protein bars, homemade protein bars, and they usually have nut butters and seeds and 
uh, chocolate and coconut and raisins and some protein powder. This is so great because it saves you money. It keeps like it, it saves you time from the grocery store and all this stuff. And you can really be a little bit more in control of how we're feeding or depleting ourselves. And then we got to figure out what we do prioritize when it comes to food. Food, unfortunately, our food industry is so awful. It, there's, it is profit driven. It is not health oriented. And things like that are on the dirty dozen, um, just do your best to not eat off the dirty dozen and eat on the, you know, the clean 15 it's called. And you can just pull those up. Meat is really, your protein is probably one of the most important things to eat clean because we've done a, another huge disservice to our animals by feeding them toxins and antibiotics and their stress and their environment and just the foods that we feed them and the stress that they're in and under and their filthy conditions, we eat that. And I, I love protein, but protein is one of those things. If you can prioritize the cleanest protein, it will absolutely be beneficial downstream and long-term to your body and your health because detoxification is, is happening all the time. We have so much to detox in our air and our water and from our food. And eventually these, these are one of the reasons why we just feel overwhelmed and like things just aren't budging in our body. Detox. So the less you give your body to detox, the easier it is to just maintain and continue um, being healthy. If you had to eliminate anything, I would start with wheat as much as possible. Wheat is heavily sprayed with something called glyphosate and glyphosate is a, um, it's an herbicide and it's a known carcinogen and it's highly inflammatory and it destroys the gut and the brain. And it's, um, you know, people always think, well, I'm not celiac and I don't have celiac disease but only one in eight people actually have uh, feel the harms of um, wheat or glyphosate in the gut. It's mostly a, a brain um, herbicide. It gets through the blood brain barrier and it gives us brain fog and uh, it affects learning and memory and neurological health. And then of course that goes downstream, but wheat, if, really damaged that, that beautiful grain and you'll feel better. You'll have less inflammation. You'll have better brain function. That is one thing you could eliminate or eat less of. It will go a long ways to, for your health. And then I, I used to have, um, uh, like with my nutrition things, I used to focus a lot on paleo and I call myself the lazy paleo, um, cook. And I like anything that I can make healthy, but in as less steps and as um, easy as possible. So, you know, fine sauces and box soups and things and um, quinoa and wild rice and things that you can just stick in a crock pot or an Instapot and come back later at the end of the day and dinner is done and you have leftovers. And there's so many good recipes for crock pots and Instapots. And it's very, very convenient. And even though it's a new habit and it's going to take time, 
it will really save you time and health because when we are not he healthy, you know, as well as I know, it's distracting, it's draining, it's expensive, and it, it truly costs more to get your health back than it does to maintain it. And then shop around. So I use coupons. If you, if you live in Fort Collins, Loveland area, I love shopping at Esh's. Uh, the food is a little bit on, like some of the food is a little bit close to expired, but I don't think that matters. I've never, you know, gotten something that I was like, oh gosh, like this is way more expired than I, than I thought, but you can eat really healthy on a shoestring if you, you, you know, if you know how to stick something in a crock pot or an Instapot or make enough for leftovers or, um, you know, not overcomplicate ingredients. So look for bargains, go to your discount uh, grocery stores and try to keep it as clean as possible because our food is something that is not contributing to health and a little health goes a long ways in reversing that trajectory of injuring versus healing. Is it the ashes on Highway 52, someone's asking? Uh, the ashes on 287. On 287, okay. Let's it's, stop there for a right, minute. Go, go ahead. Okay. Oh, it's the ashes right next to um, Walmart when you come right into Loveland. Perfect. I want to stop there just for a minute and get some feedback. How does this feel to everyone? Um, does it feel like something that could be doable in smaller steps? What, how is this, how is this processing? It feels necessary. <laughs> I think that's pretty powerful, isn't it? It feels necessary. Good. Very informative learning a lot. Sounds like a, a lifestyle change, that, which we always hear, right? But that will slowly evolve. And I think that's, that's the key. Because so many times in the past, we've just done like a one day to the next. Okay, now we're eating clean. And I mean, that lasts for like a day. Um, good. I'm glad this is helpful. Super. Thank you. And we will get to everyone's questions. I promise. Let's get through a couple more slides and then we'll do some more specific questions. Go ahead, Christy. Yes, we are. We are almost there, almost at the end of this. And I agree, like this is not a, a quick fix. This is a slow and steady practice. And you'll find foods that you love and you'll, you'll make mistakes and you'll make foods that you're like, oh my God, you know, so sorry, family, like we got to order a pizza. So just don't be afraid to make mistakes because um, the worst thing to do is just not change anything. So this is, um, this is just a little bit about the trajectory of what's happening because of our food. So we're, we're really very disconnected from our food these days. Um, and it's not rebuilding us. It's depleting us. It's making us sick. It's making us um, you know, kind of fall apart at the seams. So fill your body with foods that heal. And remember thoughts are food. And here are some of the effects of, um, these are the most recent statistics. 
uh, the effects of stress, toxins, and depleted food. So asthma is now affecting one in 10. And of course, the lungs and asthma is, you know, is a sign that there's fear and constriction and that the body's not, again, in, in a safe spot. Allergies, one in four. And, and allergies come from a lot more than just food. A lot of that is in our, our environment. And again, stress, fear, traumas, et cetera, can affect allergies also. Diabetes, one in three. That is definitely a direct re, um, um, reflection of how we're feeding ourselves. Major depression, one out of two people are majorly depressed. And maybe it's even more than that. That's a lot of inflammation in the brain and, and that the brain isn't healthy and it's just on fire and the gut is on fire and we're not making the right neurotransmitters. Things are really out of balance. Cancer, one and two. And dementia, they're saying now that dementia is starting as early as age 28. And again, this is inflammation in the brain. Dementia is actually considered type three diabetes, which is just too much sugar um, in the brain. And that glucose is, is literally starving out and dysregulating how we think, how we process um, our nervous systems, our immune systems, et cetera. And, and that's directly related to our food and stress. And so, this is just an overview. If we can commit to maybe hopefully, um, let's say 80% of the time eating one healthier meal a day, less snacking, just try to drink some water or some herbal teas or some club soda, a little bit more time in nature. We're just overloaded with screen time and all these, um, you know, just less we need to get the, the negative ions from, from nature and more exercise. So exercise was really one of my antidotes for over overeating because exercise is food too. When you, when you move your body and you're active, it really clears a lot of the excess sugar and glucose from your bloodstream and your muscles um, and your liver have the most receptors for sugar. So if you can get it into your muscle, um, that's way better than in your liver. I know you've heard this a hundred thousand times, but truly do try to eat less processed foods. They are depleting you. Um, they're not as healthy as even maybe the package makes them sound. Make better use out of what you already have, like your crock pot or your Instapot or your oven. Practice gratitude. This puts us into a parasympathetic um, state, which is where we rest, digest, and repair. The opposite is sympathetic nervous system, which is stress, or you're frozen, and you're not really functioning. Uh, it's more that um, living out of our traumas and our stress and our addictions. Try to do the best you can to drink clean water. Uh, water is really important, but we don't want to have our bodies filtering what's in there. We want it to be filtered so our bodies don't have to do that. And then sleep, of course. And it's just so important to enjoy your health and the things that you can count your blessings over. And that's it. Thank you so much for hanging in there through that.
Awesome. Now we're going to really dive into some specific questions and get some just some advice, um, specialized advice from from Crispy. Thank you for that, Crispy. Um, let's start with one that may be an easier one. Can you suggest a gradual replacement for monster drinks? Sure. Um, you know, um, they they make all these like yerba mate drinks and uh, teas, but anytime you can make something at home, like a yerba mate or a green tea, just make enough to take with you for the day. Another um, good replacement for monster drinks would a good B12 supplement. A lot of those um, monster drinks, obviously they have a lot of bad stuff in them, but they have, they're loaded with B vitamins and B vitamins are sort of a nutrient, mega nutrient for our nervous system. And so you can just do B12, you can make yerba mate, green tea, put a little honey in there instead of all the processed sugars and artificial flavors and artificial sweeteners. What about things like um, those emergency packets or liquid IV? I like all those. I think you do. they're really good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That'd be way better than all the, the, the unknowns that are in the other drinks. It's a great, yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. Um, Cause yeah, I, I don't think I could switch. I don't drink monsters, but I have an affinity for Dr. Pepper and I don't think I could go from that to green tea. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I'm, I'm actually, um, I'm getting ready for a cleanse. And so I'm off of coffee right now. And um, I'm on day three of Yerba Mate and I'm like, uh, what, no, what, what is two. that? I can't even understand what you're saying. Yerba, Yerba Mate. What is it? Yerba Mate is, it's very much like green tea, but it doesn't have any caffeine. It's, it's a leaf just like uh, green tea, but it's, it has a chemical compound called matine instead of caffeine. And it's, it rebuilds the adrenals versus depletes them. And I have to get myself off of caffeine every once in a while because I really do like it. Um, and I realize that it's, you know, it's not always the healthiest go-to. So like, they say three weeks on, one week off of any caffeine. And so it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a step down from green, from green tea as far as um, its chemical compounds and stimulants. Someone says a naturopath doctor recommended adding minerals to my homemade soda water to replace what the carbonation takes away. Um, I like the bubbles, not the soda. And having the minerals to add makes a difference. That's interesting. So you're probably using those, that machine where you can pump carbonation into it. We used to have one of those too. I love that. That's so brilliant. and and wonderful because we are mineral deficient where our foods are mineral deficient processing de, um, deplete, depletes the minerals even more. And then they put in synthetic minerals and stuff that our bodies just don't recognize. Get great, great minerals like trace minerals um, is a good brand, but yes, I love that. That's so, that's so healing versus depleting and injuring. Awesome. So someone says with our foster daughter, keeping the sugar regulated was harder than ever. You inevitably end up with food in your home that would not be there if the child was not there. Can you talk us through 
a kiddo comes in and this is a child that is addicted to sugar, not used to really any nutrition. What are some, I guess, safe feeling ways we could get started getting that sugar regulated? That, that's a hard one. And that's when I, I relate to, I was a total sugar, sugar addict. Um, so sugar, sugar is a, is a, is a sweetness, right? And it's a way that our body kind of lights up so that we feel something it's stimulating. It stimulates serotonin and then it depletes it. Uh, and that's where that roller coaster comes in. So things that can help replace sugar is, is protein. So like for someone like this, there's no easy way to go through sugar withdrawal. Um, a lot of protein can help, um, healthy fats like coconut oils and nut butters can help, but this sugar is the number one addiction. I think in the U S it's our first high. And we're like, wow, I feel really good because I get a, a serotonin boost from it. And then it's depleting. And just like any addict that starts to feel depleted, we want to go back to what made us feel high again. And everyone has a different sugar threshold. And for those of us that are addicted to sugar, it's that serotonin boost that we get. And there's definitely supplements that we can do to get the precursors to serotonin, but that's probably what her body's really needing is more serotonin. And um, we can talk offline and Renee, I can send you some, some serotonin supplements, but healing the gut, getting the serotonin back, giving her more protein and more fat, but it, there's, there's nothing comfortable about going through sugar withdrawals it will last about, you know, three days. And if you can get through those three days, you're going to have a lot better um, success of just calming down that screaming brain and screaming gut, because it's, it's probably more than anything, a serotonin deficiency. Awesome. We're going to switch gears, Christy, a little bit to children. And like we mentioned at the beginning, hoarding and overeating. Um, the first question says her foster child hoards food wrappers from chips, crackers, candy. I've been battling this since she came a year ago. She is seven. She hoards wrappers in her school backpack and refuses to throw them away. Any advice for me how to deal with this? Is that a safety security behavior? What do you think that could be? I, I would think so. Um, just having the constant reminder that, you know, there's, there's food around. I don't, I'm, I, I'm not honestly familiar with, with that condition or symptom, but I think it all relates again, back to a trauma. Um, and maybe that wrapper, even though it's empty, might just give her a sense of, you know, comfort. Um, it's not causing her any pain. It's just bizarre. Right. So where, where, what is, what is the, what is the trauma that causes that, that condition to manifest? And of course, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's really interesting that she likes yeah. the empty wrappers. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think it may be some sort of comfort for her that she had food and that there is food. Someone had a great suggestion. Someone said, I wonder if it would be helpful to offer a keep box or a sticker book for the wrappers. It may give comfort to keep the wrappers and and then give the parent comfort to have it organized and in one space. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much my seven-year-old should quote unquote be eating. She says she is never full and always hungry. For example, she can eat an entire box of macaroni and cheese as well as a fruit and a yogurt beforehand. I don't want her to be hungry, but I personally feel this is too much food. Any advice for me? Yeah, that is a dysregulated brain. So um, the, the neurotransmitters and the hormones like leptin and ghrelin, the ones that tell us the feedback loops that tell us I'm full, I'm good, I'm satisfied, like stop eating are dysregulated. Um, so this is when a good gut reset and brain reset would be really important because her gut and her brain are not communicating. So um, there's, this is where like a good broth would really come in. Something that uh, heals and seals those tight junctions. So like, as we know, like we have the epithelial lining of the gut and we've probably all heard of uh, leaky gut. So when these tight junctions start to, to leak out and the proteins are getting into the bloodstream that shouldn't be there through the blood brain barrier, there's alarms going off all over the place. And the last thing the brain's concerned about is, mm, are you hung? Are you, are you full? Like there's just too much stress. So a good like bone broth or collagen broth, anything that has um, the broth from, from the bones and the meat is really, really nourishing, deeply, deeply nourishing to the gut. And that will start to heal and seal the, the gut and it'll start to rebuild the integrity uh, and the communication to the brain. But that's a hard one. And I, I struggled with that one for a long time. Like, um, and that's why I liked being full so much is because it made me feel something because I wasn't getting the, the normal feedbacks. And sometimes it is just conditioning, 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 but a lot of nutrient dense foods. We don't feel, we literally don't feel full sometimes from processed foods because they're made to be addictive. They're made to make us crave more. They're made for our brains to, to be overly stimulated so that we always want more and we don't feel full. So she might have some food allergies, obviously leptin and ghrelin um, are not signaling, but I'd start with something very deeply nourishing like the broth, um, the bone broth, and you can look up bone broth and there's lots of recipes, but it's pretty much just uh, bones with the meat and the marrow on it, uh, cooked with carrots, vegetables, onions, things like that, and you can salt and pepper and spice it up as much as you want. And then just something that's nourishing for her so that she can start to rebuild that feedback loop and then maybe decreasing some of the foods that are dysregulating to her brain, like aspartame and artificial flavors and colors are highly addictive and they dysregulate the feedback loops to our gut, to our brain. It, I wanna to say to the original 
foster parent who asked that question about wrappers. You, you are not alone. We have a lot of people offering um, experience with that too. Someone says, we've had experience with some of our foster kids hoarding wrappers and trash. The kids kept them because they always kept seeing that they would lose their things when they moved from house to house. So sometimes it's just a way of being able to keep something. Um, someone says, wrappers, give her a gallon size Ziploc bag uh, to keep her wrappers in so that she can see them whenever she needs them to see them, uh, to see them, but the residue is not a bug catcher. Good idea. Once the bag is completely full, she can keep them on a shelf until she's ready to get rid of them. And someone else said in their family, they had a child who kept the wrappers, but hid them because they didn't want the parents to see how much she had eaten or judge her for what types of food she had eaten. Interesting. Someone is Next asking about, yes, yes. Foster parents are wow. always wonderful to each other. Um, I think we have a question from somebody who's one of the call-in listeners. Marsha, if you're there, I think I'm going to try to allow you to talk. Let's see if it works. Go ahead. And she might oh, she's be. still mute. Yeah, she's muted. Let's see. Ask to unmute. see if she's able to do that. Um, in the meantime, someone says stevia is touted as a natural, quote unquote, is natural. A question? Yeah, Marsha, is that you? Yes. What's your question? Oh, I didn't have a question. Oh, your hand is up. That's why we wondered. Oh, I'm sorry. I accidentally pressed it. No worries. We'll lower it. Okay. Awesome. So stevia is touted as a quote unquote, natural sweetener or sugar replacement, what is your view? It's, it's way better than a lot of the um, highly stimulated um, artificial refined sugars. It comes from a plant. Uh, there's usually two ingredients, stevia and glycerin, um, something like that. I, I think if you like stevia, it's way less offensive, uh, offensive than refined sugar. Other good sugar replacements like stevia are monk fruit, uh, coconut, um, coconut sugar, date sugar, anything that you can relate to from like a, a healthier source. Sugar beets um, is what a lot of the refined sugars also made from, and they're highly they're highly um, sprayed with the glyphosate. It's highly addictive. It's totally depleting. It does nothing good for the body. It's highly addictive also. So stevia, monk fruit um, are awesome. Coconut, sugar, just things that are less processed for sure. Honey, honey can be really good too. Is dried cheese less offensive to the gut? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> now we're really getting into it. <laughs> I, you know what? I don't know. I honestly don't know about that. Um, a lot of people have allergies to, to dairy. So the, it's, and it's the protein to the dairy. So I honestly don't know if there's less protein in the dried versus the, um, the wet or the, or the raw form. I'm sorry. I can't answer that one. No, no worries. We don't expect I, you to be all knowing. Um, I'd like are, to find out though. Yeah. Are any spices not recommended? 
Um, this is when uh, I would say, like, um, listen to when your body's saying no. Um, I think that most people do well with, like, they'd rather have something flavored. So unless something's upsetting your stomach, giving you brain fog, severe gas and bloating, et cetera, major inflammation, most spices I think are good for, for people, the gingers and the curries and the cinnamons and the turmerics and, you know, some black pepper, obviously you don't want to overdo a whole bunch of table salt, but more the Himalayan salt, um, the fat, the salt that you grind the table salt, like the Morton salts has a lot of plastics in it and it's just highly processed and demineralized. But I think spices are good. I think the more you can spice your food and your food tastes good, the, the more the body's going to be like, I'm full, I feel good. And it lasts longer too, the, the feeling of fullness. Let's help this foster parent out. This is definitely not a, a single incident here. Uh, any ideas for helping a 10 year old who has sensory issues and control issues? We'll only eat cereal at home. We'll eat small amounts of other foods at home. So a lot of times, Christy, it's not the taste for the kiddos they struggle with. It's the texture. Um, mm. What tips do we have for, and I'm assuming it's slowly trying to introduce a, something else, but how can we help them overcome that sensory struggle? So, you know, sometimes this is so much bigger than, than the food. The, this is where I think something like the biofeedback would come in, um, maybe heart rate variability training, things like that. Um, but I would just try whatever texture it is they'd like. If it's parade, like a parade food or a chunky food, just try to accommodate that, but as healthy as possible, because... I don't, you know, that is something that either it falls away naturally or that it's just through constant exposure to new things a little bit at a time will, will balance itself out. But, but so much of this is just how the, the brain is miswired through the trauma and the constant stress. And so just creating an environment too, where we're eating in a not stressed um, place where there's there's calmness and like less stimulants and no TV and a conversation um, can can also just be distracting enough where we can slip new things in. Um, remind me, Renee, that to do a breathing exercise with everyone. There's a simple breathing exercise. It's called circular breathing, which will take you out of that sympathetic fight and flight response, which we can't digest anything. So if we're eating when we're stressed, um, then we can eat like 10 meals literally and just be like, I'm not full because we're not digesting. And so we're not getting that feedback from the gut to the brain, but we can do a breathing exercise all together that shifts uh, us out of sympathetic and into parasympathetic and it's easy anyone can do it you can do it anytime anywhere and that might be a nice little like prayer breathing prayer to do before we eat so that our bodies start to to get into the place of um, digestion versus just feeding let's do it right now can you walk us through it 
Sure. So this helps me a lot. And I did this before we got on today, because of course, anytime there's like a presentation there, it's always a little bit stressful. So this is called circle breathing. You might also hear it as square breathing, but you go in for, we'll do it together. We'll go in for four. We'll hold for four. We'll release for four. We'll hold for four. And then we'll just do that in a circle. So it looks like I like that. I like that. That's super helpful. Um, and it's, that's quick, it's easy, but it can take us to a better grounded place before we start a meal. I'm wondering for that foster parent with the kiddo with sensory issues, if the child is in OT at all. I know when, when our little guy was real little, we had a issue with him eating lotions and ointments. Um, so we had to do things like let him chew gum and get a vibrating toothbrush that he could kind of have in his mouth. It's it, that was an oral stimulation issue there for him. So that might be something that would be helpful for that foster parent as well. Um, super, let's get to a few more questions here. Someone says, I have a 10 year old kiddo with us who is a vegetarian who will not eat one single fruit or vegetable. She also hoards food, overfeeds, and is addicted to sugar, carbs, and processed foods. We eat pretty healthy here, but I'm at a loss of where to start with her. I'm blending fruits and vegetables, hiding them in smoothies and sauces, but her issues are also textural. She spits out anything that doesn't feel good in her mouth. Any hints, tricks, or thoughts on where to start? She refuses almost everything I try. Aww. I loved your idea earlier about the broth, the basic broth. I'm totally going to try that. Um, what else could she try? Gosh, she's doing all the things I would recommend, like sneaking it in, blending it up. Um, that is a that is a hard one because that's what that's what. You, you have to do you've got to hide it you got to get it in but I think the root cause there again is that her her microbiome is the ratios of the good and the bad bacteria are really off and her the bad bacteria is screaming crying craving for the sugar because there there it's so much the ratio is out of balance and so that's what her body feels that needs to be fed first and it's again it's it's that how do you get protein to a vegetarian that's texturally um sensitive it's it's really challenging so i would continue doing what you're doing maybe find some really good protein powders that she likes that are in the right flavor that she likes 
if you can get some collagen-based or um, colostrum-based um, protein powders, that will really start to heal and seal the gut and change the ratio of those bad bacterias. It's, it, there's, it's really challenging when we are addicted to sugar because it affects everything. It affects the brain, it affects the gut, it affects the microbiome. Again, we're only 10% cells. We're 90% bacteria. If we're overfeeding the ones that are screaming and crying and throwing a tantrum for sugar, there is usually some discomfort involved with making that transition. And you've got to be okay with the screaming child. They usually won't starve themselves. They love food, right? They like the food. They want to be fed. They only want to be fed the foods that are stimulating that serotonin and giving them a, a sense of well-being. But it's going to take some patience and some practice and some due diligence. And yes, I like the silk and tofu idea very much. And you can make puddings out of that and desserts out of that. Um, and even put that in muffins and pancakes and things, but don't give up. Don't give up just because a child is like in a tantrum. It's like their bodies have been hijacked. They've literally been hijacked. And they're, they're really like almost not in their body. It's the bacteria. Just think of them as like bacteria screaming and we don't want to feed the bad guys, but it's going to take some patience. Um, and it's just going to take some due diligence, but you're doing all the right things. You're absolutely doing all the right things, but the colostrum in the, in the collagen, uh, powders might really help too, just to kind of shift the communication that's going on between her cells in her brain. Yeah, I really want to give props to all of the parents today. I mean, we we know, we've learned, and we know that these food-based issues are rooted in, in trauma, and that is foster parenting. So this is not something you're failing at as a parent. This is something that you are walking alongside your child to help them heal while they are in your care. So well done to all of you. And thank you for, for being this interested in how food uh, plays a role in their trauma. Um, Christy, I'm not sure this is a question you can answer, but I'll toss it your way anyway. I know food affects sleep. What are your thoughts on taking melatonin every night? What are some natural foods? What are foods that help with sleep? Great question. Yeah, I love that question. I'm a big fan of, of melatonin. Um, it's sort of one of those um, hormones that people are like, oh, you shouldn't take it um, because it, it stops the, our own production of melatonin from our pineal gland. But every single cell in your body, and there's a great book called Melatonin Miracle, um, every single cell in your body makes melatonin. And melatonin buffers stress on the level of the mitochondria. And one of the best things you can do is sleep. And there's lots and lots of things that have slowed down and calcified and sort of like down-regulated the communication of our pineal glands. And so we need our pineal glands to be highly functioning day and night. And so I personally have no issues with melatonin. I don't think it's, it um, affects that your own natural production of melatonin. I think sometimes, especially with hormones, we have to nudge the body back into like 
oh, here's a hormone. And a lot of times our body's actually making the hormone, but our receptors are blocked. And the things that block those receptors are like the trans fats and the bad oils and things like that. So I could go, I love melatonin. Um, I think this is a great question. So last thing on melatonin and then other things about sleep. Yes. Um, some people get nightmares with melatonin and I, and so it doesn't work for them, but if you don't have nightmares from the melatonin, which I think is your body just really going back into the subconscious and processing things that haven't been processed, but obviously no one likes nightmares, but if you do well with melatonin, I think it's a great supplement. We have to sleep. It doesn't matter how awesome you eat. If you're not sleeping, sleep is sleep is like one of those foundational medicines. The other things that you can do um, to help you sleep is just stop eating before you go to bed. Like the general rule is two to three hours before you go to bed, just stop eating because digestion takes about 80% of our, of our energy. So if we go to sleep and our body's still trying to process and digest foods that we just ate, it takes away from our non and REM sleep because the liver's working way too hard and it's taking away from a lot of the repair. So two to three hours, if you can stop eating, if you need to eat something, this is where the intermittent fasting really comes in. We need to let our bodies like, like there's a difference between craving and real hunger. And a lot of times the body goes into craving a food, a sugar, a carb, et cetera, before bed, you have to have something, have a really light carb. So boost your, um, your, uh, glucose and it'll help you get through the night, but not too much. And the reason I don't love that suggestion is because it can trigger more cravings. And so if you can, melatonin is great. Um, let's see. And, and sometimes people do well with things like valerian and St. John's wort. But if you find that you you're waking up groggy after taking certain herbs, even chamomile, it's just because you're not clearing them. So it's worth experimenting with, um, stop eating before. It really, really helps a lot of people. And you also wake up with less cravings and go a little bit longer before your blood sugar levels um, and the cortisol starts to whack things out. But last thing on the not eating before bed, it also helps the signaling in the morning. If you go to bed on an emptier stomach with the leptin and the ghrelin and the, the communication that starts to happen between your gut and your brain to, to optimize that feedback loop of hormones between your brain and your gut. Interesting. Um, but I love, I'd love to know how the melatonin works for people because it, it's a natural hormone and we have really damaged it. Anytime you can get out into the morning sun between like 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., that, that light is really good for your pineal gland and it'll help your body's feedback loop for producing it. We have, someone says ice cream helps with sleep and someone else said kiwis promote sleep. And I think we all know Thanksgiving turkey, right? I mean, come on. Um, that's helpful. And, and that's, Those of us who use melatonin are breathing a sigh of relief right now. Oh, that's good. And remember tryptophan um, and Sarah, so we make, um, to make serotonin, um, we have to have tryptophan and we just, all these amino 
acids are really necessary. We're not getting a lot of the amino acids anymore because our foods and our, our foods don't supply them. Any foods that sprayed with glyphosate, like the wheat, doesn't have the right amino acid chains in them. So serotonin, when we boost our serotonin, we sleep a whole lot better because it's the precursor to how we make melatonin. So, um, and remember the, the sugar is actually, even though it spikes a serotonin um, effect, it actually ends up depleting it. So um, really increasing um, your serotonin is going to help you sleep too. Interesting. Thank you. Our our resident vegetarian, our in, intern Rachel from Luther College in Iowa, is linking to some of her favorite meat alternatives that are sensory friendly in the chat. So thank you for that, Rachel. Um, how can we tell if food has plastics in it? Oh, right. Well, um, anything wrapped in plastic has um, absorbed some of the plastics, even water bottles. Uh, they, they just start to leach out. So it's so disappointing that they're even wrapping potatoes in plastic now. If it's touched plastic, it's absorbed plastic is sort of the bottom line. Okay, thank you. Um, we have a four-year-old that takes a long time to eat a meal, like an hour, and needs a lot of encouragement. If it's something unhealthy, she eats it quickly. We know this lengthy time isn't developmentally appropriate, but we also want her to nourish her body. We've recently gotten a timer where she can see the time going away, which has really helped. Any other suggestions? I mean, that we don't want this to turn into a battle of the wills, right? I think when, when we were growing up, there was a, you're not leaving the table until you know, you've finished and there were people sat there for hours sometimes, which, which we don't want. How, how else can we encourage them to continue eating? Oh my gosh. I have no, idea. like, this is where, like my, my first reaction was like, you know, some of this is just going to correct on its own. Maybe she really likes the attention that she's getting, maybe it's less about the food and more about the environment, but obviously that she's eating the bad foods faster is just a sign that, you know, food is really purposely made to be addictive. And it's a real crime what our food industry has done to our food to, to do this to our health and hijack our brains. So, you know, for me, I say it's less about it. it the stimulating foods are obviously that's you know why that's happening. They're, they're designed that way. But the good foods, um, I don't know, this I feels like I feel like that's a better answer for other foster parents to answer. I think it's just nurturing the environment and I don't know. I, I feel I was one of those kids that had to sit at my table till I, I ate everything and I hated it because some things just don't feel right either, right? So how do we know? if it's really a food that's offensive to her because her body's saying no, or it's just psychological thing, or she wants your attention, or she does. Our taste buds also change when we eat healthy. Like it's true that our taste buds get hijacked by processed and refined foods. So the healthier foods don't, honestly, they don't taste good until you remove the overstimulating overprocessed foods. I know I didn't really answer that. 
Someone was saying that that ice cream, by the way, is called night food and Amazon sells it and it's low in carbs. Thank you, Tatanisha, for sharing that. Um, someone has a great, great thought here. He says, something we've done with kids who have texture issues is we would introduce those foods by having them take one bite at first. Maybe find one of those foods that you really want them to eat and stick with that, like one bite of carrot at first, then get to where she'll eat one whole carrot, then two, and work your way up till she's okay eating it. Then work on another food. It's a slow progress and might not work with her, but it might be a uh, worth a try if you haven't already. Great tip. Yeah, I think all this is about don't get frustrated. So I ate horrible, like horrible up until about my my 20s. And, you know, people eventually will get to the point, hopefully, where they're you've tried everything and it, it eventually becomes up to that person. But if we can set them up for the most success in their food, obviously it makes their life easier. But at some point, this this will become their choice, their responsibilities, their bodies, and they'll remember all the good things that you did for them. And they have those roots and that information and that that education that you're providing them. It will even if you don't see the results right now, it's not going to waste they'll remember, they will remember, even if it's not working right now, it doesn't mean it won't work five or 10 years from now. Fantastic questions, everyone. Again, thank you so much for being so interested in this topic. I feel like we've learned so much. Um, we're done a little bit early. So what we'll do is we'll have Anna walk us through finding your certificate, and then we'll stay on for a bit longer if any more questions come through. Let's see if Anna's ready to pop back on and walk us through this. Yeah, give me one second. Let me pull up our page. Anna's going to show us the verification code for today's class first, and then someone from the team will type it in the chat as well. Yeah. All right. Can everybody see my screen? Yes, we can. Okay, perfect. So when we're all done with this, you should see the screen. This is where you logged in this morning. You should see that you completed the webinar. If you don't see that, that means that we didn't catch your registration. So please remember, you got to email learning at fostersource.org. If you were watching with someone this morning, that's going to be super important. That way you both get certificates for this class with your name on them. And the next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna input our verification code. The one for this morning is food for, so capital F, O, O, D, and then the number four. And someone's gonna post that in the chat for us. So we'll put that in to the verification code, submit it. And then we'll be able to complete this survey for this class. All right. And I'll just be filling this out quickly as we go through. Most of these questions um, are about um, our organization or the training that will always be shown above the question. 
we really do value having you fill this out. It really does help us in the future to create better trainings for you. And if you're new to Foster Source, you've never done this before, there should be a button on every question that says NA or new to Foster Source. And at the very end, we do have a question that allows you to give us feedback on the class. We always send that out to our speakers and it's really great. It gives them great feedback. And when we bring them back, the trainings are even better next time. So once we've completed the survey, we should see three green check marks. So one for the webinar, one for the verification code and one for the survey. And then you'll be prompted to get your certificate. Please, please press this view slash print your certificate. When you do that, it should pop up in a different window with your name on it. And once that happens, you'll see all four green check marks. That means that you'll always be able to access your certificate under your transcript, which if you go to the button on the left-hand side of the screen that says dashboard, at the top, you can see transcript and achievements. And this is where all of your past certificates will be. And we can see the one from today and that allows you to keep it forever. So make sure we have all four green check marks on that page. And then if you're interested in looking over the slides, you can go to the handouts tab and we have the slides from today's class there. Awesome, thank you, Anna. Yeah. And yeah, always feel free to email us at learning at fostersource.org. We are happy, happy to help. Verification code once again, food, and then the number four couple more comments came in that I wanted to share. One was, I've been told it can take 10 to 15 exposures to a new food for a child to like it, and they still might not like it. So continuing to offer it, even if they don't like it is important, but like was meant, it was mentioned, asking for just one bite is a great way to handle it. And then someone says, in my experience with both bio and foster kids, I had to learn to quote unquote, get over myself and the unhealthy ways of my upbringing without making it a deal. My kids naturally did what they needed. A try me bite worked very well with my foster kids between six and 14. I love that. I yeah. Love we that. all grew up in, in a different time and where food was looked at differently. Health was looked at differently dieting was was common even for young children it was just a different time so that's a great great thought that we kind of need to put that aside and and do better for our kids and and the food was different back then too it it didn't have the the level of depletion and artificial flavors and colorings and stimulants that it does now the the chemicals are really disruptive to the brain in the gut. And I love that. It does, it just takes practice. Good point, good point. Christy, how can people work with you? How, how do you work with clients? Um, I, I do see people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I have an office in, in Loveland and of course, Zoom and things like that. But really, um, I always just wanna know like, what do you need to get out of this? And if, I, if I'm not the best match, I can help I can help you find someone that is, and, you know, just, you know, what are the goals and why, you know, how, how do you think I can help? And then we just, we dig right in. And a lot of what I do too is 
um, even on kids, just even gentle detoxification because the toxins are so disruptive that sometimes if we can just get rid of some of those, the body will start self-regulating a little bit better. And I, and I wanted to mention, and I love, and I'd love to work with you um, if, if you have more questions or if you think I can help. There's also something that's really important to look up too, if you can look up the polyvagal theory. This is the frozen part of the sympathetic nervous system. And sometimes you can look like, it sounds like so many of you are doing the right things. But if, if the nervous system literally is frozen and you find like, I'm doing the right things, I've been, I've been patient, um, I, I've been doing this for months, sometimes it, it's just a shift in their, in their nervous system can, can wake up and help their bodies and their digestives and their hormones and their, the leptin and the ghrelin, all those things kind of kick in. Um, remember, it's not always the food. Some, this trauma affects everyone really differently in different tissues and different organs and different habits and the beliefs that they're developing. And it's important to remember that their brains still are developing. And a lot of that has to do with the state and the health of their nervous system. It's crazy that you just brought up polyvagal theory, because that is something that I've been digging into. And we have an incredible instructor coming in March to teach polyvagal theory for us. I found her. Are you guys ready for this? I found her on TikTok. So I am going to, I'm going to put her TikTok handle in the, in the chat. You have to follow her if you're if you're a boomer, even though I'm not, but my daughter calls me one, and you're on TikTok follow her. Um, it's TikTok trauma doc is her, her handle. I'll put it in the chat, Dr. Christine. And she's going to teach for us in March about polyvagal theory. Um, oh, I wish I could go to that class. I, I love the polyvagal theory and it's helped me so much. Yeah, you totally can. You're in the classroom now. You can come anytime. Oh. Um, can you put your contact info in the chat for us, Christy? Because someone's Absolutely. asking for you to recommend someone in the Springs. And this is stuff that maybe people can do offline with you. Absolutely. Um, in the meantime, everyone, we're going to give you back 10 minutes of your Saturday and get out of Foster Source early. So uh, thank you so much to Christy. This has been so, so helpful. Thank you all for coming and spending your Saturday with us. Thank you for fostering. Um, class is officially over. Enjoy your weekend, everyone.